Electrifying an instrument creates a louder sound, but it's also a stylistic choice that, throughout history, has often symbolized protest, politics, and counterculture. On today's Please Explain, we're going to take an in-depth look at electric guitars, their mechanics, and their history. And joining us now are Brad Talinsky, who was the editor-in-chief of Guitar World magazine for 25 years, is now co-author with Alan DePerna of Play It Loud, an epic history of the style, sound, and revolution of the electric guitar, published by Doubleday. Also here is Roger Sadowski of Sadowski Guitars in Long Island City. Bass Player Magazine once called him the world's most dangerous luthier. And he has made instruments for some of the biggest names in music, including Bruce Springsteen, Paul Simon, and Joan Jett. And I'm very pleased to welcome them to our show. Hello. Hey, Hi. thanks, Leonard. Nice to be and here. to our listeners, if you have a question about electric guitars, their history, how they're made, whatever, give us a call at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WMIC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Roger, how and when did you get started making guitars? Uh, I started building guitars in 1972. I started out making acoustic guitars. Uh, and then got heavily into repair and restoration and started building electric instruments around 1980. Do you have to do an apprenticeship? No. Um, I tried to get an apprenticeship uh, for a long time, but I found a small acoustic guitar maker in New Jersey. It was a four-man shop, and I became the fifth member. And I'm assuming that you started building your roster of uh, famous clientele because you make good guitars. Well... It's when I Does the word go out? When I decided to start my own business, I felt I had to be where the top professionals were. The choices were New York, L.A., or Nashville. Given that I'm a, natu- a native New Yorker, that was the, the choice for me. And uh, I was fortunate to get in with all the top studio players at the time. It took you a while to get into making electric guitars. Is it very, very different than making acoustic guitars? It actually isn't. Uh, in many ways, electric guitar making is, is simpler but it require, from a woodworking point of view, but it requires a very basic understanding of what musicians need. And we'll go into detail in a little bit, but uh, let's bring Brad into this. Did you spend some time working in a guitar shop before you started working at Guitar World? Yeah, it's actually sort of funny. <clears throat> I was just telling Roger um, when I moved to New York in uh, in the '80s, I worked at a legendary New York guitar shop called We Buy Guitars, and uh, we actually used to sell uh, Roger's uh, fine instruments there. <laughs> and where was that located? That was on Forty um, Eighth Street. Uh, when you uh, when you start reading about the history of the guitar, you start to realize how many different styles of music electric guitars have have uh, produced since they were invented. Do you like where they've ended up? Um, You know, what's really interesting about the electric guitar is, unlike certain other inventions, like the original guy sort of got it right, right in the beginning. Like guys like uh, Leo Fender and, and Ted McCarty started making really, really good instruments. And there was no guy named Gibson? 
Well, there was Orville Gibson, definitely. He was he he was part of there, part of the whole thing. But in terms of electric guitars, uh, it was really uh, Leo and Paul Bigsby and and uh, and uh, Ted McCarty, and these guys really did an incredible job in the beginning. And in a way, we've all been sort of. I don't know if Roger would agree with this, sort of chasing those guys in their original vision. I, I agree. They got 90% of it right the first time. The history of the electric guitar begins with the history of the pickup. What, what's a pickup? Well, the pickup is the device that picks up the vibrations of the strings and converts it into electrical impulses that can be read by an amplifier. So, so that's different than the sounding board and an acoustic exactly. guitar? Exactly. It's the equivalent of a phono cartridge uh, on, a, on, a rec- on an LP turntable. Okay. Nowadays, many acoustic guitars are outfitted with pickups. So what makes an electric guitar an el- electric guitar? What, what's the difference? All right, I'll take a shot at that. Uh, The electric guitar, prior to the development of uh, amplification for acoustic guitars, electric guitars were considered solid body instruments. They were not hollow. They didn't have a soundboard. And so all the sound was generated by the strings vibrating and being picked up by the pickup and transmitted to an amplifier. And those were those very stylized, shaped guitars that we saw in the early days of rock and roll? Well, it's the classic Fender. You have two basic primary schools. You have the Fender School and you have the Gibson School. And virtually everything made to this date has its roots in either one of those two schools of guitar making. I was surprised to learn that the first pickup was invented in the 1920s. Uh, Who was responsible for that? Well... Um, there was this guy named uh, Beecham who was uh, this guitar player from from Texas. But oddly enough, he played Hawaiian music. Yeah, he? he they played Hawaiian music. Hawaiian was music was a, a, a sort of a weird popular trend in in uh, in America during that time. But but believe it or not, really the first pickups goes back to 1890. There was a guy named George Breed who. Uh, uh, created the the first pickup. I mean, it didn't work very well, and it didn't sound very good. But um, what do, what do you think they were hoping to achieve that they couldn't get from an acoustic guitar? Well, the the title of my book is is play it loud, and the thing about the guitar is that it had been around for for a long time. I mean, it had been around for centuries, but it was flawed in a certain way. The acoustic guitar, in that it just wasn't loud enough. I mean. You know, you put it against a piano or you put it against any horn instrument and it would sort of – those instruments would blow it, blow them all away and it couldn't very well be heard in a in, in big band setting. Um, so it was a great instrument. I mean it was fantastic because of its portability and, and all these other great things that it could do. But it needed to get louder in order to compete. So were uh, big band guitarists tempted to start switching over to electric? The the two that I think of who played electric didn't really start playing uh, electric until the late 30s, Lonnie Johnson and Charlie Christian. Yeah, well, in the book uh, we talk about how Charlie Christian in many ways was really the first electric guitar hero. Um, Because he was also a great musician. He was a great musician, but... You know, popular electric guitars really didn't exist, and and Charlie was just waiting for this thing to come along. 
uh, when he was playing before he got a hold of his first Gibson ES-150. He would have to balance a microphone between his legs, or sometimes he'd tape it on to his acoustic guitar with a rubber ba- a microphone with a rubber band, and it never really worked very well. You'd get feedback and all sorts of weird overtones. So he was the player that was waiting for the electric guitar to happen. And did a new model come along that allowed him to play the way he did? Yes, exactly. Um, It's funny. Gibson uh, came up with this guitar, the ES-150, and ES stands for electric Spanish guitar, and the 150 stands for how much it costs with an amplifier, $150. And Spanish guitar because that was considered a certain style of guitar? Yeah, um, people thought about the guitar in two ways, as a lap steel guitar, like a Hawaiian Mm. guitar. Which weren't amplified. Which weren't amplified. And then, or as a Spanish guitar, which is what we consider the typical guitar, something held sort of vertically against the chest. My guests are Brad Tolinsky, co-author with Alan DePerna of Play It Loud, an epic history of the style, sound, and revolution of the electric guitars, published by Doubleday, and Roger Sadowski, the, uh, who is a luthier and also owner of Sadowski Guitars in Long Island City. This is WMIC, WMIC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate, and we've been inviting your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Let's go to a call, and we have some people who have been writing in as well. I want to ask their questions before I go back to my own. Kevin from Montclair, New Jersey, you're on the air. Hello, thank you, uh, Leonard, and hello to Brad and Roger, and thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a weekend player. I'm a hobbyist. We, um, I, I'm in a small band that plays in and around the city, and I get a lot of complaints, um, mostly from my band members, about how my guitar is won't, won't stay in tune. And we're a sloppy sort of you know '70s punk New York kind of band. And wait, um, you're I'm a punk band, that. and you're worried about staying in tune? <laughs> right, I know, I know. I, I got to talk to my bandmates about that. It's aesthetic choices, but you know, it's but it, but it's it's interesting because it does. Like I, I tend to play hollow bodies, and um, and I have a hollow body um, uh, Schecter and a and a Silvertone are my two favorite guitars, but they just won't stay in tune. And I just went up from a ten to an eleven string, which isn't easier for me to you know, which is harder for me to bend and play like I want to play. So I just wanted to get advice. Should I be playing a solid a solid body? I know conventional wisdom says it's gonna hold it all together better, but I would appreciate um I would appreciate the feedback of the masters. Well any guitar, uh solid body electric or hollow body uh, can have tuning issues. Uh, the usual source of the problem is what's called the nut, the piece at the end of the neck that has six grooves that the strings go through before they go to the tuning machines. And assuming assuming the tuning machines are good and functional, uh, the biggest issue is strings catching in those nut slots, and that's the biggest cause of tuning issues. Any so guitar, how does he correct that? Uh, bring it to a good guitar tech and, and have it worked on. But any guitar can have tuning problems. Antonio on Twitter asks, how much does processing finishing of the wood affect the tone? Rosewood and maple are well known. Are there more exotic woods? Are there better ones? 
Well, this is a very big issue right now uh, because as of two weeks ago, the uh, CITES uh, Commission, which is a treaty amongst over 140 countries, uh, has protected every species of rosewood. And so we're going to have a major shift occurring in in a lot of alternative woods being used now for uh, guitar making. Where do you get the woods for your shop? Uh, Well, we get – I have suppliers that I've cultivated for 40 years, and they come from – parts of the U.S. and all overseas, but rosewood has been one of the absolute dominant woods for acoustic guitar sides and backs and for fingerboards of all guitars, and they're now, as of June 4th, will be protected and restricted. So that means you won't be able to get any more rosewood? Well, you'll be able to get it. Uh, It'll be more expensive, but the logistics of exporting a single instrument with rosewood on it will become more than uh, people can deal with. Ben on Twitter asks, what influences the sound of an electric guitar more, the guitar itself or the amp? What aspects of the sound do each of them affect? Well, you know, they all... all, uh, they all contribute to the sound, and and some people would say that the most important part of the sound is actually your fingers on the strings. It it sort of really starts there. Guys with great tone sound good playing anything. I totally agree with everything Brad said. Um, I think there was definitely a period in the seventies where people thought the wood in solid body instruments was irrelevant, and that it was just about pickups and and the mass of the hardware. I think I've been advocating since eighty that electric guitars and basses, solid bodies, are still acoustic instruments, and the wood definitely contributes to the sound. Now, uh, my sense of how the guitars were uh, in popular music, uh, there's classical music, the Spanish guitars, Segovia, people like that, was that first we had blues singers uh, accompanying themselves on acoustic guitar. Then along came the electric guitars with people like Charlie Christian and jazz adopted that. And was the transition from that to the rock electric guitars the 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 electrified blues singers who came along uh, after World War Two. Well, Muddy really, Waters yes, and Howlin' yeah, Wolf. Yeah, and all I that. mean, what really happened was, um, you know, the blues guys moved from the rural South to Chicago, and what they encountered, Muddy Waters in particular, I go into great deal of detail in this book about this, found themselves up against sort of difficult acoustic odds. Like out in the country, they could play an acoustic guitar and it could almost be heard for a mile away. But in the cities, there was so much more volume and noise and and they had to combat that, and especially when they went in to play the large bars and clubs. And so that's when they started naturally gravitating towards amplifying their instruments. But then a whole new style seems to develop with people like Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley especially. The guitar starts sounding not just like an amplified acoustic guitar, but like something else. Well, I've had the great pleasure of having Bo Diddley on this show. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't ask him about that. <laughs> well, you know, I think it really did start with, with Muddy. He was the first guy to really, him and Jimmy Rogers, to look at the possibilities of an amplified instrument and think of it in terms of it being an amplified instrument and not just a loud acoustic guitar. 
Now, why Jimmy Rogers? Because he lived in Texas. I don't know if did he ever go to Chicago. The 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 the, the blues player that played. Oh, with, Jim, uh, that Jimmy yeah, Rogers, yeah, yes. not not the the, exactly. the blues, the break man. Yes, not the not the break man. Ah, uh, um, gets confusing. No, yes, exactly. But then, so then suddenly, once these people started coming up with their own sound on the electric guitar, then everybody had to come up with an individual sound. Well, the individual uh, sound the, 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 the is automatic changed. due to what Brad was referring to as the artist's touch on the instrument. Uh, there's no fixed rules of how you play an electric guitar. It's not like classical guitar where you study the Segovia style. Uh, you can do whatever you want and come up with any sound that, that becomes an expression of who you are as a musician. Well, we opened with Jimi Hendrix. Uh, and he was using all sorts of other things uh, to give a special sound, the wah-wah pedal and the like. Uh, we'll take a little break, talk more about all of those things, and we invite listener calls. Our number here is 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate, or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. My guests are Roger Sadowski, who is the owner of Sadowski Guitars in Long Island City, and Brad Tolinsky, who is co-author with Alan DePerna of Play It Loud, an epic history of the style, sound, and revolution of the electric guitar. It is published by Doubleday. We are back with Brad Chalinski, co-author with Alan DePerna of Play It Loud, an epic history of the style, sound, and revolution of the electric guitar, published by Doubleday, and Roger Sadowski, who is the owner of Sadowski Guitars in Long Island City. He makes guitars for some of the uh, most important people in the music business. Um, the names that I cited earlier were mostly rock guitars. Uh, are those your usual clients, or do you also do Spanish guitars? No, I do everything. I mean, by Spanish, I don't do classical guitar players, but I do do acoustic, you know, steel string acoustic guitar players. How far off was the Beecham frying pan guitar that we mentioned earlier from the types of guitars that we see today? Um, oddly enough, they they look, the guitars are, are, are look much better and play much better these days. But the actual sound of it was not bad at all. It was it was comparable to something you would hear today. How do you insert the electronics? What materials do you use to to make them? Well, the, there are many companies manufacturing pickups, and in fact, there are, there are so many who have come out of the woodwork in the last ten years. It's almost impossible to keep count. Um, the actual, aside from the pickups, uh, the uh, components of an electric guitar are very, very simple. There's not a lot going on. What about the placement of the pickup? That definitely affects the sound significantly, the location. George Beecham placed the pickup at the bridge of the instrument. Well, if you get too close to the bridge, there's so little string vibration occurring that, that the sound tends to be very thin. Uh, so the further away from the bridge you move the pickup, the more vibrations the pickup senses and the fuller and warmer and louder the sound. Yeah, the Charlie Christian electric guitar, had his, he had his pickup 
placed sort of further away from the bridge and more towards the neck, which is why you get that beautiful, warm sound that he had. And sounds more like an electrified acoustic guitar than some of the other guitars that we hear. Maybe maybe not, but it definitely has more warmth mm-hmm. and roundness to the tone. David from Tenafly, hi, you're on the air. Hey, it is so cool that I get to talk to you guys. Uh, I bought my main guitar that I play every day. I played it for two hours. It's an old Les Paul Deluxe, and I bought it 27 years ago at We Buy Guitars. <laughs> so it's amazing that you guys are on. But uh, my question is, after 27 years, I have finally decided to get another main guitar. And I'm going between a Les Paul Standard and a Les Paul Custom. And my brother, is a, he, he owns both, and he said, get the Custom because you finally have the money to afford one. Mm-hmm. And, um, but everything I read says it's just blingy, and it's no better than the Standard. And I figured, who better to ask than you guys? Should I get a Les Paul Custom or a Les Paul Standard? And are Les Paul guitars all that different from other electric guitars? Well, <clears throat> different from other electrics. Uh, like I said, there there are basically, I think, four definitive electric guitars that everything else is a variant of. On the Fender style, you have the Stratocaster and the Telecaster. On the Gibson size, you have the Les Paul and the 335. And I would pretty much say almost every guitar has its roots in one of those four instruments. So one of our listeners, Etienne, asks on our show page, how did we go from Les Paul to Jimi Hendrix in terms of amplification? Well, I, I think one of the major turning points was actually in, in England. There was this guy named Marshall who owned his own uh, uh, music store. And he started building amplifiers. And Pete Townsend of The Who basically came, was one of his patrons. And he said, which one can I smash? And, uh, <laughs> and Townsend said, here, I've got this Fender amplifier, but... I want it louder. Can you make me something bigger? Can you make it loud? And and Marshall came up with the 100-watt Marshall stack, and that sort of revolutionized how uh, how guitars were amplified, and that's what Jimi Hendrix played. We didn't answer David's question. Yes. So, so what kind of less – should he get one of the Les Pauls rather than the other? Yeah. This relates to uh, the answer to his question relates to my my comments about wood and sound and electrics. A Les Paul Custom, unless you're doing something different now that I'm not aware of, has a maple neck and an ebony fingerboard. Uh, the standard has a mahogany neck and a rosewood fingerboard. Both bodies are mahogany with a maple top on them. The neck and fingerboard uh, woods will make the biggest difference in how these two instruments sound. So is it just a matter of what sound you prefer? Absolutely. So every player has a sound in their head, and what they need to do is play enough guitars to find the one that comes closest to giving them that sound. Now, I made a joke about smashing guitars, but do either of you get upset when you see musicians lighting their guitars on fire or smashing them? I remember the first time I saw The Who, and I thought, these guys are crazy. (laughs) Well, I think very few of them are smashing valuable vintage Uh, instruments. I'm sure. uh, You can buy guitars at any price point and just consider them a prop. Yeah. Well, it was sort of considered, I think, in the case of Jimmy and and, uh, Pete Townsend, almost a political statement and very much 
uh, something of that era. You don't really see people smashing guitars that much these days because it's quote unquote been done, you know, I think. Mm. So, uh, but I think in that that era where everybody was trying to do something new and be outrageous, uh, I don't know, as a kid, it excited me. I don't know. I, I didn't mind seeing Jimi Hendrix light his guitar on fire. Max from Larchmont, you're on the air. Uh, hi, guys. Um, I'd like to ask, uh, I was going to ask about Pete Townsend, too, but you just spoke about him. But I was wondering if you could talk about Richard Thompson and uh, how unique and different his guitar sound is, especially his electric guitar sound for most guitar players. And I understand uh, from what I've read that he often used Middle Eastern tunings, which might have something to, to do with it. And uh, anyway, I was wondering if you guys can talk about what, what makes him different. Well, uh, my wife is a huge Richard Thompson fan, um, and I actually associate him more with acoustic guitars that, than electrics. But again, he's one of those guys who has a very distinct, unique, individual style. And he's going to sound like Richard no matter what guitar he plays. It's just that simple. I, I sometimes think, I don't think this is all the time the case, but I sometimes think that the guys that our great acoustic players have an advantage because you have to be able to generate a beautiful sound out of an acoustic instrument. And if you can do that and then apply that to an electric guitar, there's different techniques, you know. But I think you have kind of an advantage. And like I've always said, it's sort of the touch that creates the, the sound and, and the signature. And uh, with Richard Thompson... That's certainly, certainly the case. Does it matter how many strings? Well, I think uh, generally we're talking about a guitar with six strings. Mm -hmm. There are a few guitar players now playing seven string. Twelve strings are primarily rhythm guitars and, and are in a separate category. But yeah, for the most part, we're talking six string guitars. Uh, what about double neck guitars? Do they change? Does that change the sound at all? Or is that just a matter of style? That's that's style. I think I've worked on one Deppel neck guitar in forty-four years. Uh, they're not really uh, um, that popular. Um, well, you know, the double neck guitar really isn't that different in this in the sense that usually one is a, one of the necks is a twelve-string, and the other is a six-string, or a guitar and a bass. Yeah, line. and I know that Jimmy Page, for instance, who's sort of probably the most famous in terms of the double neck guitar bought that guitar in particular because he had a certain song that he had to change very quickly between a 12 string sound and a 6 string sound so it was a matter of convenience not necessarily a matter of tonality exactly. we're getting a lot of calls about the influence of Les Paul on electric guitars well, Les Paul, along with Leo Fender, were, again, two of the great pioneers. Uh, Les Paul more so because he was a professional uh, guitarist and a pioneer of recording techniques, and uh, he had great, great insight into what worked and what didn't work. I'm kind of uh, uncomfortable asking you about this, but right now a lot of the guitars are made in factories, often in Japan. Do they make any good guitars that way? Well, first of all, uh, Japan is, makes excellent guitars. They are at the top of the heap in Asia. Uh, in fact, there's very little guitar making being done anymore in Japan. Um, most of the mass-produced guitars today are coming from China and Indonesia and Vietnam, countries like that. Uh, but 
Guitars have always been made in factories. Gibson was a factory. Fender was a factory. So are you hoping that we engage in some kind of economic war in the next four years with China? Will that uh, help your business? Uh, no, because, again, uh, what's happened is today, due to offshore manufacturing, you now have guitars at every possible price point, starting at a couple hundred bucks and going up to $25,000 on newer instruments. So um, there's always something to be said for the best guitar you can get for 500 the best guitar you can get for 1000 and so on. Pat on Twitter asks, I have a very talented student who built his first guitar. Are there any apprenticeships in, Luth in Luthery that you might know about? There are very few builders who are willing to take on apprentices because of the time investment involved. However, there's been a big growth in some very good schools that teach uh, guitar making and repair. Uh, two I can think of right away is the Brian Gallup School in, and, uh, in Wisconsin and the Roberto Ben School in Arizona. And they teach short programs and full programs, and a lot of my employees have graduated from these programs. Andy from Poughkeepsie, you're on the air. Yes, hi. I know you talked about the two schools of guitar being Fenders and Gibsons. But Fender's always had single coils, and Gibson's always had what they call humbuckers. Uh, in addition to the, the Fender's being a flat-top guitar and the Gibson's being an arch-top, quote-unquote, guitar, how do you feel that that differed and changed the things, that, that, that the sounds and the tones? Well, I think, again, it's, it's, they, all, they have their distinctive <laughs> sounds. Uh, fenders tend to be a brighter uh, a sound with a little more clarity. Uh, Gibson's, ver I'm generalizing, of course, tend to be a warmer, rounder, fuller sound. Uh, and they appeal to, and the string, the string lengths and the string tensions are different between the two. So they're both great. They just speak to different people. In just a few moments we have left, when did, in history, do things like wah-wah pedals, reverb, and whammy bars start becoming invented? Uh, that was sort of an early 60s kind of thing, and uh, there were just these uh, independent tinkers that, that, that created these things and, and gave them to studio musicians. Brad Talinsky and Les Zeppelin will Les Zeppelin will celebrate Play It Loud at the Rizzoli Bookstore tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, that's on Broadway between 25th and 26th Street. Uh, you can come and celebrate this book that uh, uh, Brad has written uh, called Play It Loud. And also um, a reminder that we have been joined by Roger Sadowski of Sadowski Guitars. Thank you both so much for being on our Today's Please Explain. Thank you, Leonard. It was a pleasure to be here. It's fun, Leonard. Thanks.